When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. So there is a story this morning um, that influential labor groups announced yesterday, I guess late yesterday, their opposing efforts to move the NBA's Wizards and Caps from D.C. to Northern Virginia, citing in part an apparent inability to reach a satisfactory deal for union workers on the construction projects that would be involved. The opposition of the Northern Virginia AFL-CIO and member unions, including Unite Here Local 25, which represents hospitality workers in this particular region, created another hurdle for Glenn Youngkin and supporters of a proposed $2 billion deal to move the two franchises from D.C. to Alexandria. Youngkin, a Republican, responded yesterday by saying labor leaders had backtracked on negotiations carried out over months in good faith, but he presses to move forward with the proposal. So there you go. Uh, That seems to be a significant story. But I wanted to play um, a conversation that I had with Sam Fortier of the Washington Post the other day on my podcast, because I don't know how many people read the story. This was in Sunday's Washington Post. Um, It was a story written by Sam and then several others, Jonathan O'Connell, Teo Armas, Megan Flynn, Gregory Schneider, and Laura Vozella. Uh, it was titled Inside Ted Leonsis's Decision to Move the Wizards' Capitals uh, to Virginia. Um, and I'm going to read from the first paragraph, and then you'll hear me pick up with Sam after reading this first paragraph, because the first paragraph sucked me in. You know, this is a topic right now that I know not everybody is interested in, but the Post did a phenomenal job of laying out essentially each key event going back to almost 2015 that led to Ted intending and trying to move his teams out of D.C. So the story starts, the offer from the mayor was just what what Ted Leonsis had been looking for. For months, the billionaire owner of the Wizards and Caps had been pressing the D.C. government to pay at least half of the cost of modernizing his aging downtown arena. Now, in an email on December 10th, that would have been this just most recent December 10th, a Sunday afternoon, Mayor Bowser was offering just that, $500 million toward an $800 million project to keep his basketball and hockey teams playing in the city for decades to come. Leonsis responded two hours later, saying he would review the proposal right away and suggested that they meet. 
On Tuesday morning, so two days later, that would have been December 12th, the mayor presented her offer to Ted Leonsis at his corporate offices at Capital One Arena in Chinatown. They spoke for an hour before the mayor brought up the elephant in the room. She said she heard chatter that Mayor uh, that Governor Yunkin in Virginia was about to announce a deal to build an arena for the teams on the other side of the Potomac River. She asked Ted Leonsis if it was true. Leonsis spun 360 degrees in his chair. Nothing had been nothing had been signed, he said, but he acknowledged he would be joining Yunkin for the announcement the next day. Suddenly it became clear he had not invited the mayor to his offices to discuss her offer. He'd done it to tell her she was too late. So I pick it up with, from, from that moment of the, their, the story in the post with Sam Fortier, who joined me on my podcast. And I thought this, this was a really interesting story. And Sam does a really good job of explaining a lot that went into the story. First off, Kevin, thank you for having me, and thank you for you know reading some of that, and, and I really appreciate that. The you're right; it starts there, months into Mayor Bowser's first term. They get off to probably the best start a mayor and a sports team owner could, right? Making that deal, the peck on the cheek, the compliment, um, and then I think you know he says in 2016 that he will never, you know, quote never move uh, out of downtown, and he said he would never talk to Maryland or Virginia. And then over the next six or seven years, COVID, crime, noise, not feeling like a top priority in the district, all of those things lead to mounting frustrations for Ted Leonsis so that in March 2022, he, he talks about some renovations, you know, uh, potential plans with, with the city. Um, they settle on a full renovation. But by December 2022, Ted Leonsis starts saying, starts looking outside uh, of the district. He has, uh, particularly in Virginia, some Virginia economic officials send out emails to Northern Virginia districts. Uh, there's a, an email that they are working for highly confidential partners um, looking for basically a new arena that, that becomes Potomac Yard. So in March 2023, uh, they meet and Ted tells the mayor that he's considering an option in Virginia and there's a disagreement on, on what happens, but basically, according to Monumental, um, she said a couple times, you don't want to go to Virginia. And then over the summer, uh, actually before over the summer, in around that same time, uh, one of Ted's top aides, Monica Dixon, um, is, at a, is at a board meeting, and she runs into the CEO of JBG Smith, a real estate developer, and uh, the CEO tells her, you know, basically, oh, we have an option, we own some land out in Alexandria that could be perfect for your stadium. And then, you know, over the next few months, there's negotiations. Um, over the summer, Governor Glenn Youngkin gets pulled in, and he's skeptical about the deal initially as well. Um, but ultimately, he and Ted sit down. They didn't know each other a ton before. Um, but, you know, they, they're obviously in some of the same circles in Northern Virginia, and they sit down. And uh, they start to realize, hey, maybe maybe this could work. But in early September, you know, the, they've made progress with the district Monumental has, and it feels like that this is going to come together. They asked for $600 million 
toward an $800 million renovation. And on September 1st, they agree, the mayor and Ted, basically that they were going to split it 50-50, you know, the um, $400 million each, and they were going to provide their contributions up front. There is a, there is a pivotal meeting on September 7th right. in the convention center, downtown Washington, where Monumental finds out that actually the district doesn't intend to borrow it up front. They are going to ask Monumental to borrow $800 million, and, they, and, and the district is going to pay off its $400 million obligation over time, which is not what Monumental thought going into the meeting. And there is a lot of themes throughout the story, a lot of historical context with Abe Poland, because basically what the district was asking Leontes to do is a similar thing to what Abe Poland had done when he moved um, the teams and built the MCI Center uh, downtown. Ted did not want to do that. Ted did not like that structure of the deal. And the next day, he goes to Virginia and he meets um, with some Virginia officials and the speed really picks up like things, things are uh, escalating in, in late October. According to the governor, there was a phone call where, where Ted said, I would like to get this done um, into November. Uh, the, the district is, is not making a lot of progress, not showing um, monumental that it can borrow its $400 million because basically after that $400 million, uh, after, after the convention center meeting, the district is trying to figure out how can we borrow this money. And they have, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but they basically have a debt cap right. that they cannot exceed. Right. So, so they're actually, it, it's impossible for them um, to borrow up to the $400 million. But they're trying to figure out different ways. They offer Ted the land below Capital One, um, which they actually, which the district owns. He doesn't like that. Um, they try to impose some different taxes. He doesn't like them because it's one of the tax uh, business owners. So basically we get to... December, and, and the district at this point realizes how serious Virginia is, and they're just throwing up offer after offer after offer. And in a dramatic, pretty unprecedented turn, um, the CFO of the city goes to refinance some of the debt uh, in the city. And for whatever reason, it's a lot better than they expected. They got a better they rate. A they got money. a much better rate, according to your story, than they ever anticipated. Than they, exactly. And so, you know, a couple, just a couple days before the deadline, they figure out that they now have a, a lot more room than they expected under the debt cap, and that's where that's why Mayor Bowser and and uh, Chairman Phil Mendelson are able to make this five hundred million dollar upfront contribution hell Mary offer at the last minute. So five hundred million dollars more than the city was was planning to offer. You know, was trying to get to the whole time. They have this five hundred million dollars. They email it over um, Sunday night. You know, so so if if, if everybody remembers. That announcement that, that Monumental made where Ted stood up with the governor was on Wednesday. Sunday night, they email it over. Ted says, hey, let, let's meet on – he emails back, I'm out of town. Let's, let's meet on Tuesday. They may meet first thing Tuesday morning, and that's how we get to the, the discussion, um, that, that the part of the story that you read. So uh, so I want everybody to understand a couple of things that, that you didn't mention because, you, I mean, it, it does get into the weeds here. But in terms of kind of this relationship between Ted and his teams and the city and Capital One Arena in Chinatown, um, there never seems to be at any point until twenty, you know, twenty twenty two at the at the earliest um, any thought of leaving D.C. In fact, you know, in twenty twenty two. 
Ted spent $125 million in upgrades, uh, or, or started to spend another $85 million in upgrading. They had already spent $125 million in upgrading. And so they had come to this, this agreement where they were either going to do sort of minor, mid-level, or a, build a totally new arena. And they decided kind of on the significant renovation part, which was an $800 million project. And that September 1st meeting of this year, I just want everybody to understand, that was this past September, all right? They ended up holding that press conference on December 18th on or, or around there. So it was just a couple of months where this thing really, you know, sort of fell up, started to come together, then fell apart. But the reason, and I'm not sitting here just totally backing Ted on on what happened here, but the bottom line is, and and I, I don't want him to leave the city. Let me just make that very clear. And I've talked about this since that you know press conference. I want the city to keep these teams. I think it'll be devastating for the city if this actually comes to fruition. But on September first, when they met and they had already agreed that you know splitting this deal was amenable to both, and this thing was moving forward, they showed up. The mayor with this 30-page, you know, slideshow, you know, PowerPoint presentation and said, oh, by the way, you're going to have to fund it all up front and we'll pay you back over six to ten years. And that's where this whole thing changed. And I think, based on your story, unless you feel otherwise, was the moment where Ted really began to take Virginia seriously. I think if they came to the table on September 1st, based on the way your story is written, and it was a true splitting of the $800 million cost, which they had negotiated, you know, from 500 down to just splitting it, and he wasn't going to have to fund it out of pocket and get paid out over six to 10 years, I think that they would have gotten a deal done. What do you think? I think that's right. I, I think that a lot of people I've, I've seen have debated the validity of Ted saying, if you had offered me this earlier, I would have accepted it in that December 12th meeting, the day before uh, the announcement in Virginia. But I, I, I do think, I mean, I, I actually, I go back and forth about this in my head because at that point, on September 1st, he'd already met with the governor. Um, he, t- he talked with him over the phone, and then he met with him on July 21st. And I, I think that it's a compelling offer, and, and even if, you know, you sit down with $400 million and you make the deal that you said you were going to make. At that point, had Ted not gone down the road far enough to kind of play out the string and he would, you know, make a leverage play and see, you know, could the district do better? I, I, I think that there are strong arguments on both sides of would he actually have taken the deal if they came to the, to the convention center? I think that a lot of people involved think that he would have. Um, but I think there's also a universe in which they come to the table and and Ted could have, you know, said, oh, I, I want to explore the Virginia option a little more. I know that, but th- but we'll never know because they changed the deal in that meeting on yeah. September 1st. They made it much tougher I- for him to, to, to move forward with them because they essentially said, oh, by the way, we forgot to tell you, this is coming out of your pocket up front and then we'll pay you back over the next six to ten years, which was not part of the original thought that he was amenable to accepting. Yes, I mean, that, that is uh, that's accurate. And I would say that 
Also, I mean, people should know in this story, we link to, you know, the, the slideshow that you're talking about, some of the different proposals, the J.P. Morgan report um, for Yunkin's $2 billion plan. Like, we, you can read, you can, if you go to the story, you can click on, you can read these analyses, these spreadsheets, and you can look for yourself at the deals that, that we're discussing here. Um, I haven't done that. What would, what, what would I learn by doing that that's not in the story? Uh, I think you would learn more of like the financial breakdowns and things like that. And so, you know, when we're talking about the, the I think I think there's a lot of value into seeing like the the five hundred million dollar that uh, offer that Bowser makes at the very end. Like you can go look at that flip book, right? Um, and you can look at the way that she's presenting it to him, which I think just adds a, a little bit more. But but I guess I gathered from this at that point it was too late. They had the opportunity in September to get something done that I think that I don't know there there's here's the great part about this story people it's not a bunch of anonymous sources it's Ted it's Mayor Bowser it's a lot of the key figures you know this isn't speculation this is them telling their story and what's interesting to me and I want to ask you this question right now so I don't forget it I think one of my big takeaways from reading this story was there's really not a lot of major if any disagreement about the way things went down no there there's some minor disagreement about when did ted tell the mayor about virginia he says it was in march he doesn't remember that but i i think that like that is one of the strengths of this story is you know ted leos is saying on the record that he you know went you know pursued at virginia more aggressively because he had nothing firm from the city right. i think that another part of this is you know, and the mayor and the council chairman don't dispute that they were not aligned. They did not, you know, they were not making a coordinated pitch in the same way that Virginia was. And you've got to think about the contrast here. Virginia has a Republican governor and a very Democratic mayor in Alexandria, and they're aligned. They're making, you know, some pitches uh, with slick financial presentation. Everything is coming together. In D.C., the two top executives are not only not aligned, but there's a moment where uh, Alianza's aide tells Mendelssohn, um, the council chairman, that it was the first time they had been given a piece of paper. So these, these offers were being negotiated just verbally um, and that they were, you know, Monumental had not been able to take any like financial documents and, and do analysis um, on them. And so I think that, you know, these are on the record things that are not being disputed. So I think that that's another valuable element of this. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think another part that we haven't addressed is while in reading this story, and it sounds like you agree with me to a certain extent, that if the city had had the ability and maybe had been a little bit more upfront um, about what they were bringing to the table for that early September meeting, um, that I, I think a deal would have gotten done. At the same time, it was more than just the money. It was the noise um, that was a part of that downtown arena where, by the way, they had their offices. I mean, there's one story in here in which he's got a meeting with that guy from the city, and literally they, they, they couldn't hear themselves in the meeting because the noise on the street was so loud, and there was one effort after another for politicians to get a noise ordinance in that area, and it never passed. Um, crime, you know, he has moved away from saying that that was the major issue, but security for his customers was always on his mind. And then I'd throw in clearly the attention paid 
to the commanders and getting them back into D.C., these were all factors that were along with the fact that he wasn't getting a real offer. He was, you know, they were dropping the ball. They weren't coordinated. And then in early September, the deal that they, he thought he was going to be presented with was significantly different. It just all added up for him. But I mean, speak to kind of the noise, the, you know, the commander's attention and the crime a bit. So I think that the, the noise and the crime and like the fallout from COVID, I think all of those things are mounting frustrations. I think they're context for Ted's thinking, but they're not primary motivators to ultimately go ahead and make this move. Ted has talked about, he claims that the money was not the decision. It was about the future. It was about locating everything. Um, but I think it was a combination of all the things that we said and, and, and money. I think that money is, is ultimately a huge role in this and, and having a big undeveloped parcel of land and, I would say that the commanders, and not just the commanders, but, you know, the Nationals were also jockeying for money. That You know, they sent a letter to some city leaders about, hey, we need a new scoreboard, we need modernization, and if there's going to be a new commander stadium, I think you have to start worrying if you're the Nationals um, and Monumental, like, what do our premium suites look like? How are we going to be the top concert destination in town? You know, things, things of that nature. And Ted says, again, you know, on the record in the story, he didn't have a high degree of confidence that he would be at the top of the stack. He didn't have a high degree of confidence that he would be a top priority in the city when they had money that they had to give out. He's so right. He's right. Don't you think? The Nationals, yeah, I, absolutely. And I think that, you know, the mayor, I mean, we wrote last June that there was tension between the mayor and the city leadership and, and the sports team owners. And I think that this is a, you know, obviously a byproduct of, of, that relationship degrading as well. There's something that you guys have in this story, and there's not been a lot of discussion about this, although I did see, I guess, last week or the week before about the potential for a Mayor Bowser City lawsuit to force them to stay. That the Abe Poland lease uh, that you know they did back in 1997 is, I guess, a 50-year lease and doesn't run out technically until 2047, and they think Ted's on the hook to stay there through 2047. So what's the truth there? Okay, so this is a very complicated topic that people have very, you know, uh, differing opinions on, but I'm going to try to distill it this way. Basically, Ted signed a, a 30-year lease um, in 97, and in 2007... Abe, Abe did, yeah. Uh, Abe did, yeah. Abe did, yeah. Yep. Uh, in, in, in 2007, the city gave him a capital expenditure. Uh, I want to say it was like $50 million. And that, in, in exchange for that, Ted extended the lease. He had two 10-year extensions that kicked in that made it from 2027 to 2047, right? And so at this point, uh, there's, a, there's a thing where if they pay off the bond on the lease early, which Monumental is allowed to do, then it would negate the lease extension. So it. It would, the release would revert from 2047 to 2027. Got it. Basically, as, as my understanding is, and, and there's like roughly $30 million remaining on that bond. So Monumental is, is fully capable of paying that off. And Ted has talked for years about, you know, I, you know in 2027, I'm going to be a free agent. That's not lost upon me. I can do this. I'm going to pay this off. He's been talking about that for years. 
And so when the mayor came out in a press conference the other day and basically said, well, we consider the lease to go until 2047, I think that was very surprising to Monumental because everybody understands they could pay this off, you know, the bond and the lease. But my and, and Mayor Bowser, when Megan followed up and said, my colleague Megan followed up and said, how are, how are you going to enforce this? They're allowed to pay this off. She, she refused to elaborate on her plans. But basically, like, what my understanding is, is Mayor Bowser is saying, you can give me the check to pay off the bond and I won't cash it. Like, that is, I think, her strategy right now, which uh, I'm not a legal expert. I'm not going to pretend to know how that would play out. Um, but I think it's going to be a very contentious issue because if the mayor can truly enforce those lease extensions, if she can prevent Monumental from paying off the bond on the lease, then that would be a huge deal because they would be breaking the lease 20 years early. Right. If she can't do that, if Monumental can pay it off, then they can get out of the lease in, in 2027. Well, it's got to spell it. So that was um, – I, I know that not everybody is following this blow, to, blow by blow, but it was really interesting to have all of the significant parties on record, not anonymous sources in this story, and hear how this whole thing came together. And by the way, the news that I read earlier about unions in Virginia opposing this, um, this could be a massive development in uh, the, uh, for those of us that don't want them to move to Virginia. The bottom line here, though, is that those that think, at least based on this reporting, which again, it comes from Ted, Mayor Bowser, and the key figures at Monumental and around the mayor's office, and by the way, with J.B.G. Smith, um, the construction uh, uh, group, the bottom line is on September 1st, they were sitting down to have a meeting that they had agreed on the parameters. They were they were sitting down to finalize an agreement on an $800 million renovation project to Capital One Arena for Ted to stay in the city, that they were going to split, not exactly 50-50, but the city was going to pick up $432 million of it, um, and that would have left you know the other $368 million uh, for uh, Monumental to pick up. But the city changed the parameters of the deal in that meeting. Instead of, hey, we're going to split this 50-50, they asked Ted to upfront the entire cost of the project and have D.C. pay him back over a 6- to 10-year period. And that was the killer. So they couldn't get their act together over a couple of years um, that you know they didn't one hand didn't know what the other was doing in part because there was you know a lot of affection and paying attention to the football franchise um, lots of things Ted was dealing with noise crime etc and then he still and this is why I thought this story was important because there's been a lot of anti-Ted talk including from me on this and I don't want him to go and I think the way he handled that press conference was off-putting I, I do. But the bottom line is he was really frustrated by the time they got around to this press conference because according to this story and everybody involved, they had the parameters for a deal. They were ready to move forward, and D.C. changed the parameters of the deal um, and made it a lopsided deal with respect to putting the money up front, which Ted did not want to do. Um, anyway. Uh, the union story that I read before, unions are opposing this project. 
um, that could ultimately be a massive uh, issue. And I'll tell you what, if ultimately Virginia can't get this thing approved, uh, the city will have all the leverage in their next negotiation with Ted. But I don't think they should hammer him over the head with it if it happens. They should go back to the deal that they presented at the 11th hour in December, 500 million bucks. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and the Team980.com. Hey, Mel, Bry here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Daddy! Hey, Mikey, if you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget just as soon as I. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Hitting the news you might have missed. It's Denton's Daily News. All right, Denton. What do you got? All right, so I was searching on uh, the old social media early this morning before our show started. Just kind of uh, not doom scrolling, but aimlessly scrolling. And I came across a rumor. So take this with a grain of salt. But the rumor is that the Chargers could release wide receiver Mike Williams this offseason. It would save him about $20 million. It would put him in the free agency market at the wide receiver position, but it would also put the Chargers on a market for a wide receiver for Justin Herbert and now new head coach Jim Harbaugh. Well, he's coming off an injury, right? It feels like he's been injured every year of his career. Uh, that's true, but it, it was a serious injury this year because they, they started off and he and Keenan Allen were were lethal there for a while, but I think he tore his ACL. Didn't he tear his ACL in the game against Minnesota? Um, how old is Mike Williams? He is 29 years old. He is God, way I... older than I thought he was. Oh, really? I actually, I always think of he and Keenan Allen, in part because Keenan Allen is balding, but I always <laughs> think of them as much older than they are. It just seems like they've been in San Diego and LA forever. Um, yeah, I mean, look, those two receivers I think have been very much underrated. And Washington and Cliff Kingsbury specifically 
are going to be looking for, I think, a taller receiver. And Mike Williams would certainly fit that bill. I mean, he's 6'4", 6'5", right? Isn't he? Every bit of it? Yeah, he was he was crazy in college, which is where I remember yeah, watching Clemson. him, and he would always climb the ladder to uh, to go. I'll be a 6'4", 218. Yeah. So, um, yeah. there. I mean, and coming off a serious injury, and I just pulled it up, ACL tear third quarter in week three against Minnesota. And he had started off in the first two games, he had 19 receptions for 249 yards in the first uh, – Two and a half games anyway. Um, Those receivers have been great. They have been really good receivers. Now, they've benefited from Phillip Rivers, Justin Herbert, you know, in terms of their quarterbacks. Um, But I think Washington will be in the market for another receiver. I do. And I think it's going to be a bigger receiver. What else? All right, so we talked a little bit about Alex Ovechkin scoring twice. I think the chase is back on. Remember, early in the season, we don't talk a lot of hockey here, so you're welcome, hockey fans. But early in the season, we are questioning, oh, my God, like is this, is this really going to get done? He had like eight goals through 40 games, and now he has eight goals in his last eight games. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, you know, he's now 56 away from tying, 57 away from breaking. And, uh, look, Alex Ovechkin – I'm not a big hockey fan, and I'm not a big Caps fan. Just never have been. Um, it's the one team in town I've never had any real passion for. I've been very upfront about that um, for whatever it's worth. But I am an Alex Ovechkin fan, and I, th- I still think that one of the most incredible moments was this incredible weight lifted off of his shoulders with the Stanley Cup uh, win in 2018. I mean, the pure joy, the scream at the end of Game 5 in Vegas, the celebration over the next couple of months was just cool to watch, and he earned all of it and he deserved all of it. He's a very, very, and has been not just a great player, but a very likable athlete in the history of our town. Like, I, I mean, when all is said and done, Alex Ovechkin is going to be on the Mount Rushmore of players that have played in this city. He's going to be. He is the only player in the history of this town, unless you want to go back to Walter Johnson or Sammy Baugh, okay, that at various points in time has been considered to be the best player in the sport. We've never had that in basketball. We've never had that in football. We've never had that even in baseball. I mean, Bryce Harper was an MVP, um, and he was certainly up there, but Ovechkin consistently has been at the top of his sport. So I'm rooting for him to get there, and I'm really glad that they have got, that he's gotten it together and it doesn't look like age has finally caught up with him and he's on this hot streak. And I'm sure the NHL would love to see the Caps make a run and have a playoff series, you know, with, with, Ovech, Ovechkin, with Ovi in it because – they weren't in the playoffs last year. I would imagine that he and Crosby in the playoffs still are, you know, draws. I don't know how and who the draws are and who the needle movers in hockey are. Um, but the Caps are sitting there seven points behind the Flyers for third, uh, which would put them automatically in. And then the two wild cards that they're chasing right now are the Lightning and the Red Wings. They're seven and six points behind them, respectively. 
So they got a long way to go, but be nice to see Ovechkin in the postseason this year. I'd like to see the Caps make a run. Uh, but yeah, cool that he's turned it around because it didn't look like it was a possibility a month ago or three weeks ago. What else? So we talked yesterday about the Anthony Rendon comments. Did you see the latest former Nat to provide his two cents to this issue? I hope I you haven't not. seen it because <clears throat> I want you to guess as to who you think is worthy on commenting on this situation. Who's a, a form of a Nat's current? Not current. Former former guy that played Worth? with Anthony Rendon. Jason Worth. It was not Jason Worth. Jason Worth, I think, would have actually had a little bit of swing in this one. It was instead a guy that I believe actually played with Jason Worth before coming to Washington. Jonathan Papelbon. Oh, went okay. What did he say? He didn't Anthony swing Rendon. at him, did he? He didn't swing. He didn't choke him, but he verbally attempted to, calling him a cancer, saying this kind of behavior is not necessary. If you don't want to be involved, get out. It's the worst contract ever. Not totally wrong on that one. But he basically took Anthony uh, Rendon to school when it came to this. It was like a three-minute rant. There was lots of swearing in it, so we can't play it. But it was uh, it was something because you know what we say, Kevin. Nobody portrays great locker room leadership better than Jonathan Papelbon. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I've, I I did check out sort of leading into the the conversation yesterday with Chelsea about Anthony Rendon. Talked to Tommy about it a little bit on the podcast, and everybody that covered him. And I would assume, by extension, everybody that played with him or a lot of people that play with him essentially agree that this guy, not that he was a bad guy, but that he just didn't give a crap. You know, this just was not something that he loved doing. And when he said, it's just a job to me, he's he's right. But, you know, players have said to me in the past, mostly football players for the football team, um, Cooley's talked about it, that many of the players in a locker room are only there for a paycheck. It's just when you're making that much money and when you sign this big deal and this franchise spent seven, you know, $245 million over seven years, you just can't say it. You got to have a, a little common sense, um, a little bit of self-awareness as to what the reaction would be. And by the way, how kind of disrespectful you come off as. Um, so any criticism his way for the comments, I don't think are unjustified. What else? Uh, final thing here. This is more on the, uh, the Debbie Downer kind of news, but there's a GoFundMe that's circulating around on social media. Mike Sellers. For Mike Sellers. Yeah, I saw that. You know, he was very well liked as a player. It's a heart issue, correct? Yeah, apparently, according, so I read up on the bio of the GoFundMe, he's already gone through, I think it was nine heart procedures with at mm. least two more to go. But obviously playing the NFL for a long time, make a good amount of money, but nine heart procedures is, is not a cheap thing. So there's a GoFundMe asking for a little bit of help for the seller's family to get him back and healthy. What are the, what is the heart condition that would require nine heart? Did you say surgeries? Uh, procedures, I think was the oh, official procedures? word, not uh, surgeries. I wonder what it is. Maybe like an ablation that went wrong or something like that. I've I've read about those. I've heard about those. I had a friend that had that. Um, how old is Mike now? He is he forty five? He's forty eight years old. Forty eight. 
He was a very well-liked player on those teams. Gibbs loved him, by the way. Cooley loved him. Uh, Cooley always talked about Mike Sellers being one of his favorite people on the team. He was tough, too, man. He was versatile. God, I hope everything goes well. So... The, he's got a GoFundMe page, and they're trying to gen, they're trying to raise what a hundred thousand dollars. It is a yeah, hundred thousand dollars at the moment. They have thirty seven thousand, so they're making uh-huh. a pretty good. This was created two days ago, so they're making a pretty good uh, uh, amount so far. But yeah, it's uh, for uh, for him and his heart procedures. God wish him the absolute best because I know that he was very well liked. I'm trying to think of how many interactions I had with Mike Sellers. Not many, really. Um, I think I don't even recall having him on the show, but he was a good interview. You know, uh, always was. He was bright. He was smart. He was well liked. He was tough. How many years did he play for us? He had to play six, seven years for us, at least. A while. He had the yeah. coolest face masks growing up. Yeah. All right. Anything else? That's all I got for you. All right. I want to talk about the seven, the five plus seven college football playoff format that was announced officially yesterday and talk about where I think they messed up something really big. That's next. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and the Team980.com. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. So yesterday, college football voted and adopted and officially announced its new playoff format. Uh, It had been done previously, but with all of the conference realignment that went on over the last nine months and with the Pac-12 falling apart, they had to come up with a new system. And the new system is as follows. There will be 12 teams in a playoff starting this upcoming college football season. Um, There will be five, what they call five plus seven, five conference champions and then seven at-large bids. So think of the five as automatic qualifying spots, and then the next seven will be a committee that put, you know, votes in or, you know, on a weekly basis putting together, you know, we'll still have the weekly rundown of the top 12 teams 
um, top 25, but it'll get to the, 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 the top 12, and they will select the at-large teams that will participate with the five that qualify. Now, the top four conference champions that become automatic qualifiers will get a first-round bye and a home game in the quarterfinals. With a 12-team format, just so that everybody understands, four teams get a bye, and the other eight teams will compete in what they will call the first round. And so it'll be 5 versus 12, 6 versus 11, 7 versus 10, 8 versus 9. Those games, by the way, will be played on December 20th and December 21st in home field environments with the higher-seeded team hosting a first-round game, which will be incredible to see on December 20th. It'll be a Friday. There will be a Friday night game that'll kick off the first round. Then that Saturday, the next, the following day, December 21st, will be a triple header of first-round games in actual stadiums, live stadiums. First of all, you'll have closer to winter outdoor football in some of these spots, you know, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. And so you'll have weather be perhaps more of a factor, um, but just the environment overall will be insane. Now, let me just tell you, I think the two, four teams that get a bye um, will not have the opportunity to host a game. I actually think that'll become problematic, but they're going to use for the quarterfinals, which will be played on December 31st and January 1st, they're going to use bowl games, neutral sites for those games, and then the semifinals uh, will be a week later. Uh, I think it's the 9th and the 10th, something like that. Um I think it's a Friday night and a Saturday on that one. And then the championship game will be on January 20th. Uh, So that's the playoff format, right? First round, December 20th and 21st. Quarterfinal round, December 31st and January 1st. Semifinals, January 9th, January 10th. It's actually a Thursday night and a Friday night. And then the championship game, Monday night, January 20th. 20th. So here's the issue that I have. First of all, I would love teams that get a bye to be able to host a game, but they're going to use the bowl system for now. They're going to use six rotating bowl games uh, for the quarterfinals and the semifinals. And then the championship game will be held, you know, at a predetermined um, spot. The problem I have with this, Denton, is that The four conferences, the top four conferences that get the automatic bids automatically get a first-round bye and get a home game into the quarterfinals. Now, just so everybody understands, the SEC, Big Ten, ACC, and Big 12 will be the four conferences that almost always end up with the top four seeds. Now, the, the fifth conference that will get an automatic bid will be another conference, non-Power 4, because there's no longer a Power 5, and it'll be the conference champion that's ranked the highest, and they'll get an automatic bid uh, as well. Now, they will not qualify for a buy unless they're one of the top four conferences, but most years it'll be the SEC, Big Ten, ACC, Big 12. Their conference champions will be seeded one through four, have a first-round bye, and then play a quarterfinal game and a bowl game. What I don't like about this, Denton, is 
I, I mean, I'd love to see the quarterfinal games be, you know, hosted in the stadiums in which those teams play. I don't like the seeding system. First of all, understand this. Like if Notre Dame were to go undefeated and look like the number one or number two team in the country, because they're not in a conference, the highest seed they could be in this format is a five. They could not be a top four seed because they're not in a league. If you got, let's just say, a Big 12 final between Baylor and K-State, okay, and, you know, they're both two lost teams. And the champion ends up being, you know, a 10-2 and two team or an 11-2 and two team. But they're clearly not as good. Or maybe they're a t- they've got three losses. The champion ends up ha- being a three-loss championship team. They get a first-round bye and don't have to play in the first round. The way that it would be competitively fair is you determine the spots in the tournament with your automatics and your at-larges. But once you have the 12 teams, you seed based on creating the most competitive you know, field. Just like the NCAA tournament does. There are automatic berths, there are at-larges, and then they all get, you know, they, they, they get picked and then they all get seeded based on strength, you know, in whatever criteria they use. That's the part that I think they've messed up. It surprises me that they've messed up. But I know that they're speaking to, well, if you win a conference champion, there's got to be more more of a benefit than just going to the playoff. Why? I mean, you could have a three-loss Iowa team, you know, end up beating and upsetting in the championship game Michigan or Ohio State, and they end up getting a home game and a first-round bye. It doesn't make any sense at all. Seeding creates the most competitive tournament and the one that's the most fair. So I'm thrilled. Trust me, I'm not being picky here because I'm. Uh, this is exciting to me. And December 20th and 21st, and then the 31st and the first are going to be awesome to have a 20 a Friday night game on December 20th. You know, a first round game. You know, it's going to be. Uh, let, let's just throw out a, a potential matchup. You know, LSU is going to be playing Oregon in a in an eight nine game or a, or a six eleven game, whatever. And it's going to be in Death Valley on a Friday night. And then the next day, you wake up, you got a triple header. First game at noon, second game three thirty, last game at seven. I mean, by the way, that Saturday is an NFL Saturday too. You know, they're going. I think the NFL will still try to compete with them with a double header or triple header. I think the week before is typically their triple header, and that week's usually a double header. It'll be interesting to see if the NFL backs off and leaves that day to college football. Uh, we won't know that until the schedule comes out. But that's my biggest gripe, is that they should reseed the field once they have the 12 teams. What do you think, Denton? I do agree that a, a reshuffling of the field sh- would make sense. Like the Notre Dame thing that you – uh, laid out, they want Notre Dame in a conference. So that doesn't surprise me. They took this approach. They're essentially saying, get in a conference or we're just going to screw you. So that, again, not very surprising. But I am a little – so, like, it made sense in previous years 
to really hold being in a conference championship as a, a massive win for a team because the conferences were usually East versus West. But now that everybody's kind of going away with that and you're getting the two best teams in the conference, like I, I do agree with you that I don't think that should uh, automatically give you a, a buy. So let's just say there is an upset. Like if Iowa would have beaten Michigan this year, like Iowa was not deserving of a buy in this format, but I think ultimately it'll end up being fine. This is just the first year or two where they'll kind of figure out some of the wrinkles and then smooth it over. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You're not going to have East and West in the Big Ten. You're going to have the top two teams. So last year you would have just had a rematch of Michigan and Ohio State, right? Yes. In the Big Ten title game. Yeah. Um, but, but, the, but the point being is if the lesser team with a couple of losses wins, it's great because they're in the, they're in the tournament. But they shouldn't then get the benefit of a first round buy in a home field, uh, and, and, and they don't get the home field in the quarterfinal round. But a neutral site, you know, first round buy quarterfinal appearance. I do think, by the way, for those that think that somehow this is going to minimize the college football regular season or the championship games, they're really looking at it the wrong way. It's going to make so many more games at the end of the season so crucial for at large purposes, you know, staying in the hunt, you know, staying on the bubble for at large. And then these conference championship games, because there's an automatic entrance into the, uh, into the tournament, they're going to be so pressure packed. How many of these conference championship games have we watched over the years that have been completely meaningless to the, to the final four? So many more of these, all of these conference championship games are now going to be so great because you win, you're in. Now, I guess we could see years in which, you know, SC and the big, I mean, let's throw it out. USC plays Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. That sounds so odd. And they're both undefeated. And so they're both guaranteed to make the tournament. Um, one as an at-large, one as a first-round buy, but still you'll be playing for the first-round buy. You're either playing for an automatic berth or you're playing for the first-round buy. So it's going to be great. Uh, it'll be awesome. I just think it doesn't make any sense not to seed after you have your 12 teams based on strength to get the most competitive field and the most competitive matchups. Uh, but they're not going to do it that way at least year one. All right, up next, um, Rob Likens coached Jaden Daniels at Arizona State. He'll join us when we return. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and theteam980.com. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. 
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 